to all formal expression, to all science, to all proof, it is the imagination. It is the sea out of which everything manifests and into which everything suffers dissolution. Our 400-year-old civilization of light, now approaching global totality, blinds and binds itself with its own brilliance. But its sun is false. The logic of its enlightenment is identical to the logic of Auschwitz, of mutually assured destruction of the NSA. Proof is required without regard to an inactive repression of the vision which gave birth to it. The machine has become internalized. We mock and police our own dreams and desires, our own night journeys of genius. Yet the crisis in snowballing descent for well over a century is now daily gossip for even the most distracted and deluded. The whole earth screams out for some kind of social revolution, but this is only possible through poetry. The pure distillation of the imagination into words, our primary and essential technology. It is the only available counter magic. The way out of history is through eternity. Poetry, the making as a term, has been devalued and belittled in this small, cruel world of Disney, and Raytheon and Apple. It has been defanged, declawed, deloused, and spaded long ago, corralled and domesticated by the university and the entertainment industry, or so we are told. But the poets know that this is not exactly true. They dwell always beyond the protective fences, just outside the magical circles of the global village. They are always potentially dangerous to themselves and to society. They open up the fields of perception through words. With words, they sing out a course through the wilderness, a path that others may travel, and always at the point of most abundance. Hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a podcast about meaning from SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Saturday, October 17th, and today for t- for 42 minutes, after harvesting the group name for grape juice, we will take the death sweat of the cluster and make some transcendental wine. And we'll do so with Znor author of the latest title from Sync Book Press, Death Sweat of the Cluster, available at thesyncbook.com. Zanor is no stranger to the show. He is a 42-minute seasonal book club regular, as well as the proprietor and author of the group name for Grape Juice blog, and has been a guest on Sync Book Radio more times than we can count. I think the first time we met him on this show was 42 minutes number 191. But it's really exciting today to be speaking with Zanor about his recently published book. How are you doing, Zanor? Um, very good, and thanks for all this, Doug. It's great, <laughs> great you set this out. <laughs> you bet. You bet. Well, this is really exciting. So uh, let's talk about... Um, the book in a really superficial way. I was telling Alan it looks like a sync book press title. Um, 
Can you describe the cover and the artwork and, and the concept behind that a little bit? Um, yeah, a little bit. Um, actually, I just talked to the artist um, last night, so I have some more idea what it's about. So the, the artist is um, uh, Kaylee Pickenpaw, um, and she has been involved in sync stuff for quite a while um, before. She's not really now at all. But uh, um, so the big thing about this book is that uh, we started this whole thing four years ago, I think it was. And so um, I think that's when she she made the cover as well. But uh, yeah, the cover's beautiful. It's like one of like it's it's excellent, I think. And it's just like uh, to me, it's just charged with meaning. Um, it's just I, I can get lost just looking at the the cover, and then um, so I don't I don't know how to describe it artistically really. Uh, Do you it's just think she's drawing off different themes that you're presenting in the book, or is it just there? Um, uh, there is like this mythic charge to the different nodes in the in the image. Yeah, she is. Um, yeah, I talked to her about that, and it, she is drawing off of different things that she came across in the text or in the blog. Um, so it's uh, I don't know how many different um, individual images there are. Uh, could be like fourteen or something like that, or or maybe more, fourteen or sixteen. Um, and these these individual images actually appear within the book as well um, periodically through the book I guess in places where um, the text sort of inspired the image or something or, or there's some resonance there um, so they appear out all the way through the book which is great it sort of breaks up the text too and they're the, they're the main images in the um, in the book there's some other ones that uh, Alan included I think from just public domain sources but really great ones too um but to me to me the whole thing looks like a uh looks like a uh a new zodiac or something there's <laughs> it's 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 amazing it looks like it looks like everything everything spiraling into the into a uh a sort of like a rose hole or something you know like not a black hole but something different um, so it's uh and there's there's things on here that um, were not even intended by her, but just um, it they they work completely with the contents of the book. Like the uh, the it, it's sort of a wraparound cover, so it's it's one one image, uh, one one piece, the entire thing, one artistic piece from front cover to back cover. So the uh, the center figure in the front cover. Well, there's a sun in the top corner, and the central figure is Thoth, the Egyptian god of writing, um, carrying a woman. And then the central figure, kind of in the back, is Pan with the moon. So we have we have Thoth and Pan. Um, it's interesting. Like like Thoth or Thoth is um, is also Hermes, the the kind of um, Egyptian version of Hermes, and Pan is actually the son of Hermes, so it kind of it kind of works that way. 
Uh, but there's all yeah, there's all kinds of things like that in the uh, in both the art and and actually in Alan's um, Alan's sort of I don't know what to call it like layout um, of the text. He's included a lot of um, different font aspects and different sizes of the lettering and different emphasis that I that was never really in my original text, but it just works as a kind of subtext or something or a, another overlay onto the text, which makes it really interesting for me. You know, it's like um, both the art and then and then his layout um, create another story for me almost. So I'm, yeah, I'm really happy about how it turned out. Yeah, it is. The whole thing is is really beautiful. And so even if you're just as an object, like if you flip through it, it is really kind of inviting just because it's not the the text is and it's it's interesting because in the book club we've done a bunch of books that have playful typography and this definitely falls into that category as far as, as that goes. Well, so this is a collection from from your blog group name for grape juice over the period of like 2012 to 2015 is that correct yeah so it's um it's those first four years of my blog um which i put out a lot of stuff in those first four years like that's there's a lot of stuff like um later on there's a bunch of i put out less stuff but the pieces were uh, were longer um so I don't know how it balances out the early stuff and the later stuff, but yeah, this is all the, uh, not all, but um, um, a bunch of earlier essays that I selected that kind of, I thought, fit together. And uh, it turns out they, they fit together a lot better than even I expected they would in, in this book. Um, so that's um, that was a happy moment, too, to realize that. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's a lot collect these chronologically or is there some other structure to the book that made sense that was my my curiosity if this is a linear construction that becomes a circle or if you're telling a story differently than that yeah it's basically chronological um i'm interested in that you said it it makes a circle but um did you find it did? Well, <laughs> <laughs> this is surprising I, news too. No, when I've talked to both you and Alan, like that was my first question: is um, does it make sense as a book? Mm -hmm. And you both are like, yeah, I think it really does. But even though books are linear, I think it's in my head still from from our our book club. We're reading so many circles where once you finish the book, you you turn around. You know, it just you keep going, you it, because you get more and more upon further revolutions. Yeah, it does. Um, um, I guess when I selected them first, there's a commonality of theme, but there has been all the way through my blog, anyways. Um, I feel like I'm I'm just sort of telling one one tale or trying to trace the outline of one giant beast. You know. Um, so this is um, this 
it it does work like that like like sort of thematically uh, they all connect up to each other there's some there's certain points in the book that we found when we were doing our proofreading that i i missed that refer to other things in my blog that that aren't mentioned in this book but we just left them in there just to make it <laughs> more, more work for the reader or whatever <laughs> you know? um, <laughs> But uh, but most things do do fit up with each other. They do sort of mesh with each other. And mm. so then, why did you stop at 2015 and not include some of those other longer ones? Or was this where, you know, you said this is you this is a four-year project now. So then you must have started about 2016 with this idea. Yeah. So. Um, it's just because that's um, it, uh, it. It just got bogged down. Like the whole process of, of publishing this thing get, got bogged down. Like people had their own. Um, it, was, it was basically Alan, me, Jason, Kaylee who were involved, and uh, we all had things in our lives that just um, stopped the process for a long time. And it, there was there's kind of a while like a kind of a long while where i doubted if this would ever happen you know and it was just um probably over this last period um in 2020 when we all had more time just because of uh the coronavirus pandemic you know uh that we could finally put put this together but uh i don't know if it would have happened outside of that actually um so that yeah, that's a good thing to think about as well. Um, so so because of that, it we started the process in 2016, and then we finished a bunch of the process earlier on. And then, even though maybe I would have wanted to add other things, um, I I couldn't do it at that point. It was already it would be adding too much more stuff right from the beginning to to deal with, you know. So so it just it just kept on with uh, with what we had already uh, decided on, um, which is fine. Like, sorry, at some point maybe put out something else or no, something more recent. But uh, it's kind of good like this as a sort of um, introduction, and, and it I think it I think it really covers all the bases, anyways. You know. And so, <laughs> what were you? What were you doing down there? <laughs> um, <laughs> what is it? What is it that had you enthralled for those three years? You know what? What is it? So like you, you emphasize poetry in the introduction. Um, mm -hmm. Are you able to? So like that's the interesting thing with like synchromistics and people who are interested in artistic things and they're chasing different things that they end up discovering they have kind of a through line in all their work that connects it all you know are you able to articulate you know what it is that fascinates you yeah yeah i think like right from the beginning of my blog if i was thinking about it um it basically started out as um probably like quite a few people like it started out as a series of internet um email exchanges with with different people 
and then I realized that uh, why am I why am I doing this? Why not just put out a blog and then put it uh, just make it available for anybody? Um, so I think that's how it started, and and basically it's it's a uh, it's just an exploration of the kind of dreamlike um, nature of of our reality. Um, including things like synchronicity, of course. Like, I think synchronicity is sort of a, uh, a, a starting point for a lot of this, you know, like it, because it's just it happened. It's something that happens to everybody, and it's something that is startling enough if you pay attention to it that uh, it does make you think that you can go deeper w- with it, and it will lead to other things, even bigger things. Um, so I, I know you've gone through that process too where you one synchronicity leads to another and then you you just accumulate symbols that you've had in your synchronicities and then those sing, symbols resonate with other symbols that, that come up later in other synchronicities or dreams or um, like a lot of people were dealing with popular culture which I'm not I'm not as much into at all but uh, I am into books and literature and philosophy and so that's where I saw these these things tie into but I don't um, I don't want to make a case of like like highbrow lowbrow you know because I, it um, I, I tried to break down that distinction too in the book or in my blog in general just it doesn't doesn't really matter where it's coming from uh, it just happens for me that's what I'm interested in um, so that's that's sort of the starting point for me um, to explore these things. Um, but yeah, once you get deeper and deeper into this, um, you start to realize you start to build up a, your own symbolic system, and that's what we find in these in in poets and other writers and artists in general, um, where they do create this um, symbolic system in which all these different symbols sort of resonate with each other and and then you can make translations from their system into the systems of other poets and of other writers who have probably been influenced by each other or influenced by a common source or something. Um, and so for me, it's just fun to tie all that together. That's basically what I'm doing. Um, I'm just playing around with these things and in do in doing so um trying to make my own world more interesting you know like trying to imbue it with more meaning is the big thing um so the synchronicity of course is like uh meaningful coincidences um and yet coincidences are constant you know like anything that happens is a coincidence so the the key word in that, um, in Jung's formulation of that, is is meaningful coincidences. It's it's it, it's what gives um, these coincidences meaning. And this idea of of making your life more meaningful, even more mythic, um, and then tying it into this whole tradition of of mythology and literature and art and everything else is. It's kind of the point I'm making in the in the blog and in the book. So something um, you're you're reminding me of all my own 
like early blogging and discovery phase. But I'm wondering, as you were, you, you know, you were um, creating a symbolic vocabulary for yourself. Did you ever have the experience where, even though it was your own personal journey and you were discovering things, that that some of the some of the symbols that you felt uh, signified were verified by other people's journeys oh sure like that's what led me to that whole sync community if you want to call it that um it's just yeah checking it out on on the internet and finding other people you know who are into the same things as as i am um like especially what draw me into it was uh um I got really, really into Finnegan's Wake, and I had my own take on Finnegan's Wake as this kind of prophetic book, almost like you're like speaking to our times uniquely. Um, and then I stumbled across Always Record. I think at the same like 2013 when I already put up my blog, and then uh, I could hear Bill Klaus's rants on Finnegan's Wake. And he's he's got the ex, the exact same experience and spirit about it as as I do, and I was like, wow, this guy knows. <laughs> so so I'm I tried to connect with him, and then he connected with me, and and that's sort of what tied me into this this greater community of people. Um, but then yeah, for sure, a lot of yeah the commonality of of things that people are interested in is there's there's a huge overlap. And uh, so I try to mention a lot of that in my book too, especially because it's earlier blog posts. I was more more into that, more looking into um, what other people are doing. Later on, I uh, it was I get more and more just into into books in general. Um, but this is probably you know, these earlier essays are probably more open in that way. Uh, so. I mean, so the interesting journey that happened for me as I was out exploring um, and then some of the discoveries I made, I realized that Alan Moore had also like used the same things in his fiction that I had never. So it's like, even though my journey was unique to me, like I could have just read his fiction and gotten all the same stuff, but it wouldn't have been my journey. So it was like, I, I that was kind of, um it, it this this uh play space is is interesting in that but one of the things that i later had um problems with is so when we're when we're blogging we uh i often would say things with a level of authority um it's it's strange to say things aloud because it's like you're saying you know you're discovering this is how something is but at the same time because you're writing it down you know you're this is how something is and it seems like you're the authority on this the subject do you ever and you don't have any problem with that do you as far as like uh you know making a statement about the nature of things yeah well yeah the the thing is like it um we definitely live in a culture of experts, right? Where we're not, um, we're not, I don't want to say we're not permitted, but we're not encouraged to make um, definitive statements or opinions about things that we're not an expert in. Um, 
but right with with blogs and stuff they <laughs> yeah like you said it's like everybody has their opinion and everybody puts out whatever they want and i i think that's fine actually you know it's um i obviously i'm not an expert in these things you know i'm just um i'm just somebody poking my nose into into a whole bunch of different fields and trying to make connections but I am an expert in my own discovery of these things. So in that, I'm an authority. <laughs> I'm the only authority, you know. So I think, I think that's fine to do, you know. It, um, just if you have that in mind, if the author has that in mind, and hopefully the readers have that in mind as well, you know. Um, so it's it's uh, um, yeah, it's it's more it's more just um, playful discovery, like just just exploring the wonder of it all is the main thing and to encourage people to uh do that on their own too you know they come up with their own um journey to look at um so so when yeah when i'm talking about joyce or whatever i'm not i'm not an expert and i i'm not an expert um finnegan's wakest or anything like that um but I have got deeply, deeply into it. Um, so I, I do think I have some insights on it that are uh, valuable, at least to me. Um, and I think to a lot of people, like it's, it's more maybe an emotional take on it or, or like I said, a prophetic take on it. Um, and I strive, I strive to do what something that Ezra Pound encouraged all the time is to make it new. You know, when you read any text, and especially he's talking about older texts, um, to make them new. Um, that doesn't mean that you you dress them up in modern terminology or modern style or anything like that, but make it new in the sense of you try your very best to find the essence of meaning that these books contain and then make that shine again you know um so that's that's what i'm trying to do i don't uh it's not a it's not a matter of trying to be an expert at that it's just trying to trying to kind of um shake away or wash away the dross and and muck on on these shiny golden nuggets right and and let them uh let them be discovered again you know let them glitter again so you definitely uh, have a high regard for words in general, but uh, the highest regard for poetry. Like, what is that difference between poetry and, you know, just a good narrative that's well written? Yeah, it's um, it's another thing that Pound talked about is... is uh... And like bring a pound, like he's a he's kind of a controversial person too. Like he's a he's he became a fascist for the bulk of his later career. Like he may have renounced it afterwards, right? So he's an interesting figure, especially in regard to like books like The Tunnel. Um, but he's also a brilliant poet and a brilliant writer on poetics. And his take on poetry is that. Um, Poetry is language um, maximally condensed with meaning, you know. So if the whole if the whole point is meaning, is to 
um, create meaning again in the world, then poetry does that the best because it's it's so hyper dense. You know, it's like uh, each word means so much and has so much intention involved behind it. You know, like I I have this thing that behind every word is a god. You know, and that comes out like if you look into um, the etymology of of most words, that's 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 literally true, you know, that you can you can trace things back and you can find a god <laughs> of some sort behind a lot of words. Um, and poetry brings that up. Um, good poetry. That's that's the point of poetry is 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 it should hit you as a divine force almost. Um, so that's why I have the highest respect for for poets like i i wouldn't i don't call myself a poet you know it's like such a such a huge thing um i'd love to be you know but uh it's a uh to me to me these are the closest beings to the gods and like william blake said may have even created the gods at the beginning like not not in the sense that the gods are just imaginative things you know but that the gods are real and the poets created them <laughs> you know <laughs> i actually read a book about that where uh the god is whatever the culture is focused at and the poet is what focuses the culture so like uh like aeschylus um creating the gods in the play itself is what creates like imbues the god with life because the culture is attuned I should I that was a pretty interesting book but um uh, yeah it's this whole conversation is amazing in light of all of the depth that we got into with uh, the tunnel and um you know that guy's idea of you know the difference between history and poetry yeah yeah well, yeah where yeah. poetry is is eternal it is you know it's not it's not the past or the future. It is always right now. And it's the truth. And it's particular. It's not general. Um, so that's that's another big point about poetry is that um, unlike history and unlike science, it's not trying to find the general laws of things. It's it's the whole point of it is to explore a particularized singular space which is your own perception in your own consciousness um and it's different for every person but of course um the very um the very fact that we're able to communicate means that there's a lot of overlap as well you know there's a lot of things when we read poetry um the words resonate to us as well because we experience the same feelings and emotions and perceptions as as poets from from thousands of years ago you can like you read homer or at least you read translations of homer if you can't read the the greece the the greek which i can't but uh, um you read translations of homer and it still rings out you know it still rings <laughs> you're you're there you know it, it it has so much power even over millennia you know and that's something that history and science and these things that concentrate on finding general laws can't do, you know. Um, so I think that's. So when I 
first started blogging, I definitely had my head in Moby Dick, and it was the lens through which I looked at that moment in time. And it went on for a period of time where uh, that book just made so much sense for a number of years for me, and I know that I could pick it up again and enjoy it again. I'm wondering what your relationship to the wake is now, whether or not it is something that is continually renewing, or is it something, you know, what is your relationship with it now? Oh, it's it's still very much there all the time. Um, like, it's hardly a day goes by where I don't actually pick it up and, and flip through it or something. And and this year I want to come back again and reread the whole thing again for the the next time. And uh, so every time I, I learn more about it and I find more and more sources behind it, and so my experience in reading it is even more enriching, you know. Um, so it's constantly there. Like the the great books in literature, that's uh, that's what they're like. Like Moby Dick's great example as well. Like that's a huge one for me. But what I found, this is the thing. I think I talk about this in the book too. Is that the wake opens up, or at least for me, opened up every other book. Um, so it's easy to see when you read The Wake that this is a mystery that needs to be unraveled and you can go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Um, but because it has so many references and so many sort of arrows um, or lines of flight going out to and making connections to other texts, it's like then you go back to these other books, these other great works of literature, and it's the same thing. You can go deeper and deeper and deeper into them. Um, so it, it kind of, it turns, Finnegan's Wake turns every other book into Finnegan's Wake. <laughs> Which is, uh, so something that you invoke at the beginning is you, you talk about Joseph Campbell and myth, and he is such a strange character in the sense that um, his overlap is really interesting with a lot of uh, interesting literature where I think he cut his teeth on Joyce. And so did you read his skeleton key to Finnegan's Wake? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a, that's a, uh, that's a deeply important book. Cause that's, I think it's the first full length book um, of trying to go through the entire wake and make some sense of it. You know, before that um, there's a collection of essays of um, different writers, including Samuel Beckett, who Joyce kind of assembled in a, in a way um, to make um, just different essays about different aspects of Finnegan's Wake, but it was um, it was Campbell and I think it's what is it Henry Morton who came up with a uh, uh, Henry Morton Robinson who came up with a, a skeleton key to Finnegan's Wake, and I think this was a I'm just gonna check it. I think this was only only came out in 49 or uh, 1944. So it's very early. Like uh, um, Finnegan's Wake was 1939. This one came out in 44. It's like they did an amazing job trying to <laughs> figure it out at that point, you know. Um, but it still goes on. Like the the the, uh, the academic study of Finnegan's Wake is massive now still. Um, 
but it's almost as if Joyce started it from the beginning and with with this this collection of essays that he put out with um, Samuel Beckett and then everything that's happened since it's kind of <laughs> it's almost like he intended it <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like he started out he 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 created Finnegan's Wake and then he created Finnegan's Wake Studies you know and uh, in in a way Finnegan's Wake Studies is just another part of, of Finnegan's Wake um, so when you're reading Finnegan's Wake it's it's a much bigger book than the actual 628 pages of of that particular book um, but yeah and so what I'm what I'm saying is like um, yeah, if you use the wake as your sort of starting point, which I did in my blog in a way, it just goes off in every different direction and includes more and more and more. And that's basically what this book is about. It's uh, it's kind of the extensions of, of Finnegan's Wake in a, in a sense. And so where has Finnegan, Finnegan's Wake extensions and studies led you to beyond the book um well what especially on these days yeah especially the older traditions like the sources of uh joyce um so yeah if you get deeper into that you start to realize that although finnegan's wake is is completely unique an amazing work you know um it does follow this tradition, for lack of a better term, that just goes back further and further and further. Like his his immediate predecessors are, are people like uh, Yeats, and I've done big studies on Yeats, especially Yeats as a vision. And then before Yeats, a huge influence on both Yeats and Joyce is William Blake. And then William Blake... Um, so the title, the title of this book comes from The Four Zoas by William Blake. And then if you explore his stuff, like exploring Blake's prophetic um, epics, it's, that's, that's a life journey in itself, you know. But then you can go further back, further back from Blake, you know, into uh, um, eventually back to the, the Renaissance and people like, Bruno, Giordano Bruno, and then the Hermetic sources that sort of sparked off the Renaissance to Hermeticism and then trace it back to like Neoplatonic philosophy and then Platonic philosophy and then back to Egypt and then further back, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it just it's it's an it's sort of an endless quest. Well, you mentioned the title your title came from a Blake death sweat of the cluster what what is that about um what is the Blake poem about um it's uh is that where the title comes from yeah so it's it's um it's in his book the four zoos and I think it's the ninth night of the four zoos like I'm not going to try to describe everything in the four zoos because it's uh um it's I don't know. It's 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 hard to understand, and you can't really sum it up very easily. But um, this particular part, it's 
It has four knights to, uh, sorry, it has nine knights to the four Zoas, and the ninth knight is sort of the apocalypse and the start of the new cycle in, like, to try to simplify it. And so it's describing, it's describing uh, humans and human culture as grapes and clusters of grapes, and then the great harvest that comes about at the end. Um, it, so it's uh, it's. I'll just read it. I'll just read parts of it. Uh, so well, I'll just start where the title starts. Tears of the grape, the death sweat of the cluster, the last sigh of the mild youth who listens to the luring sounds of Luva, the eternal man darkened with sorrows in a wintry mantle, covered the hills. He said, O Tharmas, rise, and O Orthona. Then Tharmas and Orthona rose from the golden feast, satiated with mirth and joy. Orthona limping from his fall, on Tharmas leaned in his right hand his hammer. Tharmas held his shepherd's crook, beset with gold. Gold were the ornaments formed by sons of Urizen, then Enian and Ahania and Vala, and the wife of dark Orthona, rose from the feast in joy ascending to the golden looms. Um, so what happens here? And right before that, uh, that creep about the obscure places, shoe their various limbs naked in all their beauty, dancing round the wine presses. They dance around the dying and they drink the howl and groan. And, and they drink the howl and groan. They catch the shrieks in cups of gold. They hand them to, in, to one another. They are the sports of love, and these the sweet delights of amorous play. Um, so it's describing this huge, massive, apocalyptic harvest festival orgy, basically Dionysian wine orgy at the end. And, and then what happens after that is these four zoas, the four zoas, um, which were mentioned in that passage, um, Luva and Tharmas and Orthona and Urizen finally come back into alignment and and once again come back to the original positions and re sort of integrate this um, well later on in Jerusalem it's Elbion, you know, Elbion is like the original the original man, you know, like a sort of Adam Cadman kind of figure, you know, or Finn in Finnegan's Wake. Um, and once his psyche is again integrated, um, the new cycle starts, you know. Um, whereas, whereas before, it's just, it's, it's a total chaos where each of those four Zoas are, are at war with each other and there's, and there's war and misery on the earth. Um, so that's, that's what the, that's what the title is about. Um, and of course, yeah, that it's 42 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> of course, what? Um, yeah, of course it's also, um, uh, like you said in, in the intro, it's like, uh, it's wine. That's what the cluster of the grape clusters is wine. But after this is after this pandemic thing has come out you know the uh, cluster all the time you you hear of clusters of people who are infected you know <laughs> and the, 
the death sweat of the the fever of those who have got who have the virus <laughs> so it takes on a huge new meaning <laughs> so i don't know if i like that meaning but <laughs> you've been listening to Znor on 42 minutes a production of syncbook radio on the syncbook.com please check out his new book at the syncbook.com um for more information about the sync book our guests to check out past shows just subscribe to the podcast via iTunes please be sure and visit the syncbook.com thanks so much and do read this book with tea <laughs>